two scripture passages this morning. The first is an Old Testament scripture passage, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. It can be found in your pew Bibles on page 420. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. This is the story of Hannah, Samuel's mother, who longed to give uh, birth to a, a child, but was barren, who often went to the tabernacle, uh, where Eli was the priest at the time, and uh, prayed so fervently before uh, the tabernacle that Eli thought she was drunk. Uh, and she prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, if you grant I would have a son, I will give him in service to you. And this was her prayer. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. And the Lord, my horn, is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly, or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry hunger no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Our New Testament scripture passage is Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 56. Starting the reading in verse 39. Found in your pew Bible on page 1588. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. 
For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. As far as the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it in the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Uh, maybe many of you have, uh, have watched a musical. It's a play that includes uh, moments of theatrical music arrangements and, and dance. Um, it's more geared towards the theater, but a lot of musicals have been made into to movies. And in a musical, you have the expectation that at some point during dialogue, there's a, a building of music and anticipation, and the actors and the actresses are, are eventually going to burst into song and dance. It doesn't come as a shock or a surprise. It's, it's part of the makeup. It's part of the experience. But every once in a while, there will be a moment, whether it be in a theater performance or a non-musical movie, where the actors will begin to, to sing and to dance. And it's the unexpected nature of this that makes it so memorable. It's like a break from reality. And so the songs of the Savior and the birth narrative are like these moments in Luke's gospel account of the birth narrative. Graham Scroge, Baptist minister and author who studied at Spurgeon's College, would call these Christmas carols the last of the Hebrew Psalms and the first of the Christmas or Christian hymns. You see, Luke's gospel narrative, it's not a musical. It's not a break from reality, a moment when you realize reality is suspended and this is just some sort of bizarre skeptical spectacle. Luke's gospel narrative, it's real, it's true history. And yet these songs express the great uncontrollable and overwhelming joy that both humans and angels are experiencing at the news that God is finally bringing into time and history the plans of his everlasting covenant, the redemption of his people and the world through the incarnation of his son. And the first of these songs of the Savior is Mary's song, what is called in the Latin the Magnificat, based on the first word, my soul magnifies, my soul glorifies, the Lord. And if you could summarize Mary's song into one succinct theme statement, I think a good attempt at that would be to say that Mary praises the Lord for his covenant faithfulness. Mary praises the Lord for his covenant faithfulness. 
And if I was going to use another Hebrew word to make my very good friend and colleague, Reverend Vanderhart, happy, I would say, Mary praises the Lord for his hesed, his covenant love, his loving kindness. We have four points this morning. The first is he is mindful and so we magnify. The second is he is merciful and mighty. The third is he brings down and lifts up. And the fourth is he remembers his promise. Let's begin with that first point. He is mindful and so we magnify. Now the reason I read Hannah's prayer is because there's a lot of correlations between Hannah's prayer and Mary's song here. Hannah is a barren woman praying for a son. God answers her prayer and she gives that son to God in service. And her song, her prayer, Hannah's song and prayer um, reflects a lot of what Mary says in her message as well. And one way you see that correlation is in the first line, especially. My heart rejoices in the Lord, and the Lord, my horn, is lifted high. Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. In the next verse, Mary proclaims, He's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. If there is a personal moment in Mary's song, it's the first part. It's an expression of what God is doing in her. If you don't know, prior to Mary's song here, an angel came to Mary and said, you will be Pregnant with the Son of God. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will come over you. And Mary's answer to that mystery, even though she had not been with a man, was, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said. And the angel left her. And the sign that the angel told her, so that she would know this was true, was that her relative, Elizabeth, after being barren for so many years, was pregnant. And so Mary, she takes that as a sign. She's going to go visit Elizabeth to see what's going on here. And what we have here in this moment, before Mary bursts into song and praise is the last and greatest prophet of the Old Covenant era. Still in uterine, uterus. Making his first proclamation. His first prophecy. His first preaching. Two, little baby embryo. Jesus. And Elizabeth said, As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now, 
Elizabeth is six months pregnant at this point. She knows what it feels like for the baby to move around in her belly. But she understood that what was happening with John in her belly was more than that. It was a recognition of Jesus Christ because she said, Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her. How can the mother of my Lord come to visit me? And in fact, that phrase, the baby in my womb, leap for joy, is a phrase used in the prophets in the Old Testament about the coming era of fulfillment. That, that uh, crippled people would be healed and leap for joy of what God was bringing to fruition, the salvation of his people. And so, following this, Mary bursts in the song. And this personal moment is this. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. This is not Mary being arrogant. This is Mary expressing in humility the wonder that God is taking her, a little nobody from Nazareth, a little nobody from, from uh, um, Boondock County, and giving her the role of carrying the Son of God. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. There's a psalm that expresses the wonder of God, the hugeness of God, the greatness of God, the, the, uh, the overwhelming wonder of God. It's outside of our ability to grasp and understand. And then David, the psalmist, asks the question, what is man that you are mindful of him? This is Mary's moment like that. She is understanding how insignificant she is, how small she is in the grand scheme of things, yet she has received the favor of God undeserved, the grace of God undeserved, to be chosen as the one who would bear the Son of God, who would come into the world to save his people from their sins. She has been chosen to be the one who carries the Son of God, who will go to the cross and die on the cross for her sins. And that is a recognition and a reason why she praises him. Why she chooses to magnify him. And my challenge to you then, because maybe we aren't uh, being chosen to bear the incarnate Son of God. That's a one-time historical moment, and half of us are, are ruled out of even making that a possibility. But Mary is put forward here as the ideal believer. And her song is our song. And so when she says, my soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, 
for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. We, as Christians, need to begin to ask ourselves this. Here's your challenge. This Advent season, I want you to think of the ways that God has been mindful of you, cared for you, blessed you, mindful of the humble state of his servant. And when you think of those things, those ways, those moments, even in these trying times, I guarantee you, you will find a reason to magnify the Lord Almighty. You will burst forth in praise like Mary and say, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Because I am this insignificant little flea in the grand scheme of things, but God has been mindful of me. He's blessed me. He's cared for me. And most importantly, he has given me his son, Jesus Christ, and saved me. Second point, he is merciful and mighty. Verse 50 and 51. Mary's song continues. She says, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. If you wanted to um, pull a verse from the Old Testament um, that is being alluded to in Mary's song, it's often been said that Mary is um, pulling from all of the Old Testament, from the prophets, from the Psalms, wisdom literature. It's all in there. And here, at this point, Mary begins to draw a contrast. And she talks here about his mercy and his might. And she says of God, his mercy extends to those who fear him, to those who revere him, honor him, respect him. From generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. You see, um, as Mary is realizing what God is doing by bringing his son into this world, the incarnate son of God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, she's realizing that there is and going to be a clash a clash of what it means to be God's chosen people, what it means to be those who fear the Lord, what it means to have his mercy upon them. <clears throat> At this time, uh, the Jewish people have taken a very privileged stance. Um, because they are Jews, ethnically, that means that God's favor rests on them that they have been recipients of God's mercy. In fact, Mary, when she says from generation to generation, alludes to this. 
His mercy, God's mercy, extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And the answer by the nation of Israel in very many ways at this time as Jesus would enter into his ministry would be, well, that's us. We are those who fear the Lord. We are the privileged recipients of his mercy, all others excluded. Yet Mary's second point begins to show where the gospel is going. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. You see, one of the great reasons why many of the Jewish leaders and the Pharisee and the scribes and the Sadducees and those who were in power were envious of Jesus and wanted to see him killed, wanted to see him strung up on a cross, was not because they sincerely believed that he was teaching blasphemy, not because they sincerely believed that what he was doing was a risk to those who were of the people of Israel, a large reason why they were envious of Jesus is because what Jesus was proclaiming is that he had come into the world to be the chosen one, to be the chosen people, and all others who would be chosen people would have to believe in him as the chosen one in order to be revered, in order to receive God's mercy. And so the chosenness, the privileged position was now being stolen away and given to the one it rightfully belonged to, the Son of God. They saw that. They knew that. And they didn't like it. God is both, both merciful and mighty. And one of the crazy things about the gospel is that his mercy is shown in his might. Because in his might, Christ went to a cross. Christ reveals the mightiness of God, the power of Almighty God, but he reveals it in humility. He reveals it in weakness. He reveals it in dying. And being raised three days later. Your challenge in this point, he's merciful and mighty, is to ask yourself a question. What does it mean to reverence the Lord, to fear him? What sort of humility is expressed? In that, how is it that we receive God's mercy through Jesus Christ, His Son? 
And how is it that we, we are not like those who God scatters because they're proud in their inmost thoughts. Point number three, he brings down and lifts up. This is where Mary was going, and this is where I was trying to lead us to in beginning to consider the theme, one of the themes of Mary's song. All of the Old Testament is about humiliation and exaltation, pointing to those realities, pointing to those statements. And the problem is that as uh, Israel grew into its identity as a nation prior to the coming of Christ, they found a lot of pride in their religious beliefs. They found a lot of pride in their uh, convictions. They found a lot of um, reason to be boastful in their honored position as the chosen people of God. And because of this, they highlighted aspects of the Old Testament. Solomon and all his glory, the way other nations came and bowed down to Solomon, the queen of Sheba, and, and, uh, and how glorious the nation of Israel was at that time, and the gold of the temple, and, and the beauty of it. And they look at, at people like David, and they think, those were the glory days. David, those were the glory days when, when Israel was awesome and wonderful. And they said, that's what God is talking about when he says, I'm going to send my Messiah, I'm going to send my chosen one. Here comes a David. Here comes a Solomon. Here comes somebody that will bring back the glory days. And what they forget about David's story is that at one point he was a dirty little shepherd boy hanging out in the fields. The grubby little boy that his dad didn't even think needed to be in the lineup. They focus on the glory and the exaltation. And they don't realize that the path to that is suffering and humiliation. They say that they see the, the story of King David and they talk about all his wonderful feats like defeating Goliath. And they forget that at one point David was hiding out in a cave, scared for his life because Saul was after him. They remember the glory days of King David when the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the city and he was there dancing and enjoying everything and they set up a wonderful place central to the worship of God Almighty and they forget that at one point David's very own son kicked him out of his palace and he had to run for his life. God brings down and lifts up. Humiliation and exaltation. And Mary expresses this in her song. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent away the rich empty. I mean, I'm sitting here and I'm reading this, this year, of all years, and I'm thinking to myself, 
if we don't get this now, I don't understand when we're going to get it. Because we as people with small vision and inability to see the way that God is working in our lives and God is working in this world, we have a candidate that we want to be president. Oh, he doesn't win. We're frustrated. We're upset. We're wondering what's going to happen next. We're wondering if there's going to even be an America left. We don't know what's going to happen. We're wondering if, if, if this is the way it's supposed to be. And we read here that God is the one that brings down rulers from their thrones and lifts up the humble. He's the one who fills the hungry with good things and sends the rich away empty. God is the one orchestrating these things. He frustrates the plans of the people. He is the one that flips things upside down and shakes us up so that we can begin to think about the way he is at work in this world. And I've said this joke before this year. I mean, I think the most pointless thing that I bought this year was a 2019-2020 planner. And I'm thinking, I'm hoping not a lot of people have that on their Christmas list. Give me a planner for next year. Well, today I moved from the living room to uh, to the kitchen. That was on my planner to do. I ordered groceries for pickup. At Walmart, thank you for Walmart grocery pickup. And God is the one that brings down and lifts up. God is the one who frustrates the plans of men and shows who's really in control. Because in our little isolated spaces, when everything goes according to our plans, and we've worked it all out, and we've got each block an hour as we want it to go, when things happen, and, and, and nothing is a disappointment, nothing is a frustration, nothing, uh, nothing uh, goes wrong, we're like, yeah, we've got this under control. We got this in the bag. This is, we can handle this. This is our thing. And here comes God. To wake us up. And if you want a visual for the incarnation of Jesus Christ, this is what it is. Because His own people expected the glory of Solomon to be born in a palace, in a bathtub made of gold, to have all the riches and the glory from the moment he was this little, little tiny infant. And instead, this kid was born in a barn that smelled like farm animals to a couple of poor people in a nobody town. And he lived part of his life as a professional carpenter. 
And when his ministry began, people said, isn't that Joseph's son from Nazareth? And he preached for three years. And at the end of his ministry, he arose and ascended to sit as the leader of all Israel. No, he was crucified as a criminal next to two thieves. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Humiliation comes before exaltation. And Christ came into this world to show us that in his life, suffering, the turmoil, the struggle, the difficulty, the cross, the humiliation. That is what led to his glory, to his exaltation. He ascended to sit at the right hand of God because he lived on this earth with cuts and bruises on his knees probably got the seasonal cold and the sniffles. He walked the streets like any other kid in Nazareth, in Galilee. He lived a life acquainted with grief and sorrow. He cried for friends who died and who lost loved ones. And he was wrongfully accused of crimes and died on the cross for our sins. So whenever we look upon someone in our day and age and we say, that man has the making of a ruler, a leader, he's got that air about him. Just remember the person we believe in who is the savior of the world and the king of kings and the lord of lords has a country accent. You know, because they recognized Peter because he had his accent from Galilee. Jesus spoke the same way. God brings down and lifts up. In the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God flips the world upside down and shakes it. Shows us what his priorities are. Humility humbleness, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who fear him. How are your priorities this year? Are you valuing what God values? Are you seeing in this Advent season that what the Lord is looking for is that we see the glory in humility. We see the glory in striving after godliness and righteousness. 
We see the glory in knowing that when we suffer, it is not even need to be compared to the weight of glory that's being revealed in us because of that suffering. When things don't go our way, when our plans are interrupted, are frustrated, when our desires for political leaders don't go the way we want it to go, are we saying, Lord, you bring down rulers from their thrones. You lift up the humble. You fill the hungry with good things. You send the rich away empty. Are we saying, Lord, we trust in you still? And thank you for frustrating my plans if they're not in accordance with your will. Final point is he remembers his promise. And Mary ends this song with this statement. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Now, there's not a lot said about, um, especially, specifically, the fact that Mary's been told she's carrying the Son of God. That's what the angel Gabriel told her. She said, may it be to me as you've said. Um, Elizabeth said, uh, I'm favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me. Psalm 110 is an expression of that truth. My Lord said to my Lord, or uh, 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 the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Um, God said to David's Lord, the descendant of David, Jesus. Um, and because of there's this uh, um, ambiguity about Mary's specific knowledge, then, of course, that wonderful, beautiful song that uh, people love to hate, Mary, Did You Know, comes around every time this year. Mary, did you know that you're a baby boy? Mary, did you know that, you know, that what was going on? And um, That's a debate that happens every year. Mary, did she know? Well, maybe I can close that debate for us this morning. Even though she doesn't directly speak about what God has called her to do in carrying the Son of God, these last two verses to her song express her understanding of what God is bringing about. When she says, Lord, you have helped your servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers, what she's saying is that there has been a promise given by God to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, on and on and on, down to the descendants of Israel. And that promise is this, I will be your God, you will be my people. I will be your God, you will be my people. You and your children after you. I will not forsake you, I will not leave you, I will come to you, I will save you, I'll be your redeemer, I will be your God and you will be my people. And at this junction, this promise is hanging over Mary and she's realizing that what God is doing in her 
is a fulfillment of this very promise, this covenant faithfulness. She's saying that, that God, what you have promised in your covenant with your people is coming to fruition in the baby that is growing inside my womb this very moment. That he will be born and he will live and he will die and he will be the one who secures that eternal fellowship and communion between God and his people. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham, his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. 400 years, the people of Israel spent in Egypt crying out to God, and God remembered, and he heard, and he came, and he freed them from the tyranny of Pharaoh. 400 years have passed since the prophecy of Malachi, the Italian prophet. I mean, Malachi. And here, Mary proclaims again, God remembered to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers, because in my womb, grows the very promise of God's loving kindness. The very foundation and basis for God's hesed, his covenant faithfulness, his loving kindness. That God is going to come and dwell among us, tabernacle among us. He is going to put on flesh Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is going to come into this world He's going to live with us. He's going to die for us. And he's going to live forever for us. And the incarnation of Jesus Christ and his life and his death and his burial and his resurrection is the physical representation and realization of God's covenant faithfulness to his people. That when you hear the words, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, the first thing that should come to your mind is that God put on flesh, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and dwelt among us, lived with us, died for us, and was raised again. And is seated right now at the right hand of God the Father in the flesh ever to intercede for us. To come back and to get us and all his other chosen ones that we may be with him forever. Mary praises the Lord for his covenant faithfulness. And if Mary praises the Lord, we should too. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your covenant faithfulness to us in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we pray, Lord.
that our recognition of your mindfulness would lead us to magnify you. We pray, Lord, that we would be those who fear you and not those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. May you be merciful to us in Christ Jesus. And may you show your might. We pray, Lord, that we would know that you are always at work in this world. You are sovereign and our providential Father. You bring down and you lift up. And in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, you turned this world upside down and shook it to wake us up so that we may see the world the way you see the world and know that humiliation comes before exaltation. May you, Lord, humble us if we need humbling. And may we know that all things that come to us in this life come to us not by chance but by your fatherly hand and that nothing can happen to us in this, in this life except what is good for us and what works out our salvation. And we pray, Lord, that we will be those this Advent season who continually remember that you remembered your promise. And then in the coming of Jesus Christ, you fulfilled your covenant faithfulness to your people. And that by faith in Jesus Christ, we are now children of God, co-heirs with Christ, more than conquerors, And we are recipients of all the benefits and privileges of which we do not deserve that are all given to us in grace. May we live lives of thankfulness in response to this. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.